Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we've been talking about the controversies involving early Utah politics. As we've mentioned, Utah became a state in 1896, and one of the conditions of becoming a state is they had to assure the federal government that they would no longer be promoting the practice of plural marriage or polygamy. In fact, as I've mentioned also, Utah is the only state in the United States that has in its constitution a direct statement regarding polygamy where it says no inhabitant of this state shall ever be molested in person or property on account of his or her mode of religious worship but polygamous or plural marriages are forever prohibited so even though the state constitution strictly condemns the practice of plural marriage we have bh roberts who was in fact a practicing polygamist. That did not work out very well. He was not elected that time. He got into a lot of trouble because he ran without the permission of his authorities in the church. They were not happy about that. He repented of that. He had to basically grovel to the first presidency and say he was sorry for taking that nomination and running with it. So he was eventually allowed to run for Congress again and this time with the blessings of Joseph F. Smith, he wins this election, but he is not seated in Congress. In fact, there was a long list of people, 7 million people had signed a petition to not seat B.H. Roberts, and he was not seated. Then later on, another man is elected to be senator from Utah. His name is Reed Smoot, and so we're focusing on what's known as the Reed Smoot hearings. Reed Smoot was not a practicing polygamist, and he felt that the fact that he was not involved in plural marriage would probably help him. But there were still a lot of senators who were very suspicious of Reed Smoot, and they were suspicious of the LDS Church. And who was behind this suspicion? It was the Salt Lake Ministerial Association, the Protestant leaders in Salt Lake City who knew what was going on in local politics and knew that the Manifesto of 1890 signed by 4th President Wilford Woodruff virtually meant nothing because they were still solemnizing plural marriages, as well as continually practicing living with their plural wives. And so they were kind of, I guess you could say they were the ones really behind the opposition to make sure that Reed Smoot was not seated. We ended our show yesterday by going to this book, Saints, 1893 to 1955, Boldly, Nobly, and Independent. This particular volume of Saints is volume three of a four-part series. And as we mentioned, we're pretty pleased that this book is very transparent in many areas when it comes to this history of the church. 
it's transparent in such a way that we probably would have never expected such transparency, let's say 10, 15 years ago. But now we're to the point where Reed Smoot is being told by the committee chairman, Smoot is told, Senator Smoot, you are not on trial. It is the Mormon church that we intend to investigate, and we are going to see that these men obey law. So what's going to happen now? They are going to call the president of the church, who at this time is Joseph F. Smith, the sixth president. He's going to be called on February 25th, 1904. The Senate committee subpoenaed Joseph F. Smith to testify at the Smoot hearings. And this is when the fireworks are really going to start. It continues. He left for Washington, D.C. two days later, confident the church could withstand the coming scrutiny. Reed had warned him, though, that senators would ask about every aspect of his home life and demand details about his plural marriages. As president of the church, he would also be asked about his role as prophet, seer, and revelator to the saints. The committee would want to know what influence he and his revelations would have on Reed and his actions in the Senate. On the first day of questioning, March 2nd, the committee room was packed with senators, lawyers, and witnesses. Members of women's organizations opposed to Reed's election were also present. And it goes down and says, Robert Taylor, the lawyer representing the Ministerial Association, opened the inquiry with questions about President Smith's life, turning his attention to revelation and its influence on the individual decisions of church members. The lawyer then asked the prophet to explain when church members might be obligated to obey revelation from the church president. If he could get the prophet to admit that all members were required to obey his revelations, Taylor could show that Reed Smoot was not truly free to make his own decisions in the Senate. Quote, no revelation given through the head of the church ever becomes binding and authoritative, end quote, President Smith told him, until it has been presented to the church and accepted by them. Okay, most Latter-day Saints today would say, sure, that's a given. That's the way it operates in the church. They, they have to vote on this, which is certainly not a restored way of doing things because we don't read anywhere in the New Testament that anybody had a vote on a decree that an apostle gave for the rest of the church. But that's neither here nor there. The fact is they're trying to find out if you're a member of the church, are you expected to obey the leadership in the church? And the way Joseph F. Smith answers, I think, is really deceptive. Do you mean, asked Taylor, that the church in conference may say to you, Joseph F. Smith, the president of the church, we deny that God has told you to tell us this. They can say that if they choose, the prophet replied. Every man is entitled to his own opinion and his own views and his own conceptions of right and wrong, so long as they do not come in conflict with the standard principles of the church. Now let's stop and analyze that statement that was made by Joseph F. Smith. Every man is entitled to his own opinion and his own views and his own conceptions of right and wrong, so long as they do not come in conflict with the standard principles of the church. It sounds like, yeah, you're entitled to your own opinion, but if you do anything or say anything that contradicts what we're telling you to believe and practice, there's going to be repercussions. Now, it may not be so serious as 
being kicked out of the church, but certainly there would be spiritual ramifications if you didn't get in line with the revelations that were handed down by the First Presidency, and in particular, the prophet, seer, and revelator, which at this time is Joseph F. Smith. Let me give you a case in point, because it has to do with the subject of polygamy. It was Brigham Young who said, The only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Well, when, if you're a member of the church and you hear something like that, and you're seeking to become a god in the next life through what they call celestial exaltation, won't you take that comment to be pretty serious and do something about that? Why would you want to disregard what the president has to say on this particular subject? So yeah, as a Latter-day Saint, you can disagree, you can have opinions, but we know even in modern times, that when an individual member starts voicing those opinions and starts getting public traction on those opinions to the point where it's causing some embarrassment to the church, then the punishments are handed down, and in some cases they are excommunicated from the church. So I think this answer is quite deceptive. Certainly, yeah, you have your own opinion. No one's going to jump you and hold you on the ground till you finally say, okay, I changed my mind. They're not going to do that. You're certainly not going to go anywhere in the LDS church if you publicly renounce what the leaders are telling the membership. And I think today the Temple Recommend interview that takes place with the bishop or the stake president with the members, they're they're going to ask them a series of questions. You can believe whatever you want, but as long as you answer the questions in the right way, you might not even really believe what you're saying when you say yes or no to those questions. But uh, if you were to go against, let's say, well, I think it's fine for me not to have to pay tithing, you shouldn't expect to get into the temple. In the same way, I think what the leadership is saying is you need to at least publicly say that you agree with us and don't go against what we have to say. The book goes on to talk about how Joseph S. Smith was questioned by the committee chairman. You have revelations, have you not? He said he was asking when a revelation from the Lord's prophet would be considered a fundamental doctrine of the church, something a faithful Latter-day Saint like Reed Smoot would feel obliged to obey. And this is where I do give credit to the writers of this book in being this candid. President Smith chose his words deliberately. He had often received personal revelation through the Holy Ghost. As the prophet, he had also received inspired direction for the saints. But he had never received a revelation for the entire church in the Lord's own voice, the kind of revelation found in the Doctrine and Covenants. Let me ask you, Bill, how many people have? I mean, besides Joseph Smith and and, uh, Wilford Woodruff and Spencer W. Kimball, you don't really have a whole lot of the other leaders who have spoken for the Lord. And why is that? That's a big deal that a lot of Latter-day Saints make. They feel that God speaks to us today. Well, how come he's not even speaking to the leaders of your church today like he spoke to Joseph Smith? We don't even see the same pattern there. Well, we do have 17th President Russell M. Nelson, who claims that God has been speaking to him, oftentimes at night, perhaps in dreams, and yet none of the things that he says that he's being told is actually incorporated into the church's standard works. Then on page 105, it cites Joseph F. Smith as saying, I never said I had a revelation, he told the chairman. 
except so far as God has shown to me that so-called Mormonism is God's divine truth. That is all. Then the book goes on to say, President Smith continued answering questions until the committee adjourned late that afternoon. When the hearing resumed the next day, the committee focused their questions more and more on plural marriage and the manifesto. It goes on and says, while he sought to respond accurately to their questions, President Smith avoided disclosing what he and other church members knew about new plural marriages. He knew Congress would condemn him and the church if this information came to light in the investigation. And Bill, I'm going to say, he's not telling the whole truth. Not telling the whole truth is not telling the truth. Yeah, I think it was Robert Matthews, a a BYU professor who came right out and said, if you don't if you don't tell the whole story and you allow someone to draw a conclusion that's not really based on all the facts, that's the same as lying. So I would say President Joseph F. Smith here is lying before this Senate committee. And because it says in the book, he avoided disclosing what he and other church leaders knew about plural marriage. And he knew Congress would condemn him and the church if this information came to light in the investigation. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism. How would you like to have Mormonism Research Ministry address your church on the subject of Mormonism? MRM's Bill McKeever and Derek Johnson have spoken at many Christian churches all over the country. You see, they can tailor their presentation to meet your church's needs. Anything from a one-day basic introduction to a weekend symposium. You'll find these PowerPoint presentations clear, articulate, and presented in a Christ-honoring fashion. So let your pastor know today that you'd like to have MRM speak at your church. Write us at contact at mrm.org.